So I've noticed that there's this trend of podcasts that are becoming either TV shows or movies. That's kind of exciting, Reed. Yeah. I think Serial was the first one that I saw to do that. Dear John was another one that came there. And oh, yeah. we just recently heard a podcast that I recommended a couple episodes ago called Wind of Change. Remember that was about the Scorpion song. That's going to become a Hulu TV adapted show as well. That's cool. If Touchpoint, the podcast, became adapted for TV. Oh, boy. Who do you think would play us? Uh, Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson. It'd be terribly boring as it would just be two people sitting at a desk. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physicians' practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode 203, 203 on your dial. Uh, And this is 2020's best of the TPM Network. I am Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Uh, This is Owen Wilson, actually. (laughs) (laughs) No no, no kidding. Yes, this is Chris at at this end of the microphone and excited about today's episode, Reed. Yeah, this is a a fun one. We have a couple of fun episodes that we usually round out the calendar year with. Uh, This is the first of two. So this is the the best of the network, which we'll get into in a second. And then also coming up is our award show, which is obviously a lot of fun. You may be thinking there's an award show. There is, and you can participate. You would go to, uh, actually, just go to LinkedIn or, or Twitter, either one. You can find the link, but it's a bit.ly link. Or you can sign up for the TPS report over at touchpoint.health over on the website. And you can get the link as well, but you can click through. It'll take you like two minutes. You answer three or four questions, and we'll be doing that, that episode at the end of the year. But yeah, today we're going to uh, talk a little bit about the network as a whole and some of the other shows that are on the network, which is always a lot of fun. Before we do that, though, again, touchpoint.health is the website. You can check out this show. You can check out other ones on the network. If you hear something today that you think, oh, that's pretty cool, that's where you go find it. Certainly rate, review, subscribe, tell friends, neighbors, and coworkers. We certainly appreciate all that support as well. And uh, we'll take a brief pause here, then we'll be back, talk a little bit about some of the other shows. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. 
we've been mentioning often on the show that the Touchpoint Media Network is growing substantially, Reed. How many shows are now on our network? As a whole, both on touchpoint.health, as well as a few shows that we produce that are not featured there on the website, I think we're somewhere around 20. That's quite a bit of original audio programming that we're uh, sharing with our audience. Every year we get together and we, we like, like you mentioned, we do this annual episode where we highlight some of the shows that are on our network. And since we had a number of new shows that launched this year, we thought that maybe today we'll highlight just the new shows, not all 20 programs, but just the new ones, right? Yeah, we've talked about a lot of the other ones through the years, certainly, and a lot of you that are listening, I'm sure, listen to things like the exam room or the connected hospital data point, et cetera. So we'll, we'll touch on a few of the new ones. This is what I like to call our annual holiday smorgasbord episode. Mm, smorgasbord. I still don't know. Is that a made up word? I'm not even sure what that is exactly. I'm pretty sure. Is there even a board involved? I don't even know. Actually, there is, if you could believe it. It's Swedish, and it does refer to uh, you lay out a bunch of food onto a board that you celebrate at a party. And since many of us are not enjoying holiday parties this year because of being safe with the pandemic and things like that, this is your virtual smorgasbord. And I wanted to also bring up a fun fact about the term smorgasbord, Reed. I was reading an NPR article that indicates that the true sign of a smorgasbord is this. The trick is you have to take it easy because if you overload your plate, you don't get to get to that fourth course. Smorgasbord, I feel like that here in the States is known on by Instagram influencers as charcuterie boards. But <laughs> um, anyway, either or, we're going to touch on actually five new shows that came out this year. Five new ones on the network that we'll kind of go through and we'll mention a little bit about it to you, kind of a little bit of the background and then play a little snippet from each of them. Let's jump into those, Reed. And I think you're going to kick it off with the first show. Yeah, the first one that I'm going to point out, the source uh, from the American Telemedicine Association, the source from the ATA. Greg Matthews, host of Data Point, actually did a series on Data Point of about, if I remember right, about five episodes in the spring of what would have been 2019 and uh, was well received. And so uh, the American Telemedicine Association decided that in conjunction with their virtual conference this year, that they would want to uh, potentially put together their own show. And they did just that. And uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to partner with them in, in doing so. It's called The Source. And as you would imagine, the American Telemedicine Association, what do they talk about? Well, they talk about virtual health, telehealth, digital care, things like that. And so these are great fireside chats from some visionaries and experts across that industry and kind of that vertical. You'll hear a couple different hosts on the show. Greg Matthews, like I mentioned before, hosted Data Point, hosted a number of these episodes, as well as a couple of others from the ATA. So, I mean, they're, they're up over almost 15 episodes now, I believe, launched back in June. Again, right around their kind of virtual conference that they had. Today, we're going to feature Dr. Jennifer Schneider. She's the president of Livongo Health. Uh, when Teladoc Health announced their merger with Livongo Health back in August, the healthcare industry went a little crazy. People called the deal the future of telemedicine because of the combination of both uh, virtual primary care and chronic condition management. So great conversation. Let's hear a little about that now. My name is Joe Kavidar, the president-elect of ATA, and I'm honored to serve as the program chair for the ATA annual conference. 
Today, I'm extraordinarily pleased and really honored to have Dr. Jennifer Schneider, who's the president of Lavongo, join us. Uh, as you know, in this time, folks, it's a busy, busy time for all of us, but especially someone running a company of the size and stature and impressiveness of Lavongo. So we really thank you, Jennifer, for joining. So one of the areas uh, that we share in common is a passion for remote monitoring uh, technology and how that sort of a, is different from your standard, I would say, uh, if I can categorize it this way, your standard video visit type of, of telehealth. But I'd love to get your perspective, particularly Lavongo's perspective on how what you do is different from telehealth or if it isn't, then how you would envision integrating with telehealth systems in the, as, as we come out of this pandemic. And again, it's on the tip of everyone's tongue. Great, really great question. So at Lavongo, we've really focused on people with chronic condition, with our mission being to empower people with chronic conditions to live better and healthier lives. And how we've built our solution set is each time we interact with an individual member, when they check their blood glucose, their blood pressure, when they step on a scale, when they're feeling stress, we're able to capture that data with complete ease. So we do that through cellular connectivity. We capture that data, use our data science, which is behavioral economists, data scientists, and clinicians kind of mashed together, if you will. And then we deliver something of value directly back to the member, directly in their life flow. So, for example, a member with diabetes checks their blood glucose multiple times per day. Every time they check their blood glucose, they're getting a very specific recommendation. My blood glucose was 210 after eating breakfast today. That's higher than it should be, should not be a greater than 180. So I was nudged to go for a walk and drink two glasses of water. So what we've built is a system, to your, your point, that you can't scale. Um, you know, telehealth is a different delivery mechanism of a one-to-one -one provider. What we've built in our virtual care model with remote monitoring is this ability to coach and to nudge behaviors, which is critically important in people with chronic conditions, multiple times per day in a system that gets in increasingly sophisticated and increasingly personalized the more you interact with us and the more members we have on the platform. So similar to when you log into Amazon and they recommend a book and you kind of feel guilty for not ordering the book or not reading the book <laughs> because they've gotten to know you so well, we're doing the same thing in healthcare. This, the second piece I would say is we have, you know, 24 by 7 by 365 live certified diabetes educators and health coaches. And we partner with um, tel two telehealth providers to date, MD Live and Doctor in Demand. And the idea is that we can escalate and understand when our digital coaching hasn't nudged or driven the person to the right place or when somebody is in a time of need. I'll use the, the diabetes example again. If my blood glucose is less than 70, I get a call within 90 seconds from a certified diabetes educator to ensure that I'm safe. I can change the threshold. I can change the contact information. I can disseminate that to my care team, my, my mom, my children, whomever I want. Um, but we couple that together, again, really trying to save those valuable human resources, whether they be you know, telehealth or in-person or um, uh, uh, to, to when with the person really needs to use those because we understand that particularly in chronic conditions, there's a number of touch points along the way that can drive health outcomes. There, there are a couple of things you said that I just would love to underscore because, again, it's I've been a student of your success, but of course, I can't catch every detail. So one that fascinates me 
is this mashing together, as you describe it, of behavioral economists and psychologists and other professionals. I've often fantasized about that because I think those disciplines, and it, it includes marketing, actually, they, they know a whole lot about how to get us to do things. Uh, but but they don't tend to talk to one another. In my experience, they have their separate vocabulary and their separate way of looking at the world. So and the other thing that I would just, again, same same comment, and, and you're welcome to speak to either one of them, but is that automatic escalation, which I think is so critical because we're going to come into an era very soon. We're coming into it where people will interact with software first for their health care, and we have to make sure that if they need a human being, they get the right human being as, as soon as possible. All right, very cool, very cool episode, uh, very cool show. So again, you can find that out at touchpoint.health, the source from the ATA. So next up, Chris, what do we have on the list? The next one on the list, the next item on the charcuterie board or the smorgasbord is the Healthcare Insight for Marketers podcast, which is done in conjunction with True North Custom. True North Custom, as you may know, is a company that has a great reputation in the industry, working with organizations, healthcare organizations on communications, content marketing, and even, you know, in the digital space. And this show is hosted by Jane Crosby. She's been on the show a couple of times. And Eric Silberman, well, he hasn't been on the show. We know him from the industry itself. Through various different conversations that they have, they share tactics, strategies, practical tips to inspire your marketing, your communications, your digital, your overall outreach efforts. This one launched back in August. And so far, there have been eight episodes to date. There's more coming. One of the, we feel is one of the better shows of the year, actually just was released on December 10th, where they sat down with Chris Pace of Banner Health, and they talked about removing friction from the customer experience. He shares his philosophy around strategy first, tool second, and also how his team is powering a digital transformation that impacts nearly every step of the patient journey. Let's go ahead and give that one a listen. Chris Pace, welcome to the Healthcare Insight Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting to see you guys on Zoom and hear you and participate with this podcast. So very excited to be here. Well, we're we're really excited to have you. So I know I know we got to talk a little bit of it in advance. We're we're really excited to talk about digital as a growth driver and, and what you've been able to achieve there. I'm really interested in some perspective from you on leadership. I've been been reading some of your um, articles on, on LinkedIn and, and otherwise. You guys did some really unique things in COVID response that I think our listeners will be very, very interested in, in hearing about. And you've got this incredibly diverse market that you serve with some interesting political dynamics on the ground as well. And, and we'd love to, to talk about that. So it's going to be great. Let's yeah. Get it. Let's, Let's get into it. Well, so maybe just to start, tell us a little bit about about the work side of things. Tell us about Banner Health and, and some of the things that you're working to accomplish in, in Arizona. Sure. So for those that don't know, Banner is a pretty large health system. We have Actually, we just opened our first new hospital in Arizona in 10 years with Banner Ocotillo Medical Center in Chandler, Arizona. So new market for us to serve in the Phoenix metro. And we just recently 
acquired a hospital in Wyoming, Wyoming Medical Center in Casper. So that puts us over 30 hospitals and uh, we have 50 plus thousand employees and we cover the gamut from urgent care and primary care all the way to, you know, academic medicine in Tucson with our University of Arizona partnership. So it's a pretty diverse set of offerings that we have. But, you know, the unique thing about Banner that I really appreciate is the fact that it is a consumer focused customer-focused organization. So you don't generally run into that with anything attached to academics, first of all. We know that's true. But secondly, you know, our mission statement is making healthcare easier so life can be better. It has nothing to do with quality. It has nothing to do with any of the, you know, nerdy stats that we focus on from an operations or clinical perspective. Those are absolutely important. But we do all that so that it can be easy for consumers to access our care offerings and, you know, get on with their lives. Because, I mean, really, who wants to be hearing from and attached to a health system, except for this little challenge we have in 2020 with uh, with the pandemic on our hands? But otherwise, you know, it's like normal course of business. And, you know, we're here when you when you need us. So it's been it's been pretty fascinating seeing that that flip and how we've responded. Well, it, it's really meaningful to, to hear you talk about, you know, I know we read the same research on kind of consumer perception of healthcare. It's like everybody expects the quality, everybody expects the centrism around excellence in the, the delivery stream. But to have your mission really focused on that individual consumer, it, it is unique. And, and, and it's, it's encouraging to hear, maybe talk a little bit about how that's manifest in what you have built and are building from a marketing standpoint. Yeah. So taking that leap, yeah, I've been with the organization almost three years, but so the the mission statement predates me, but but really what it did was put the emphasis on solving for pain points. And we launched a digital front door effort. The the story started in 2016 in the Banner Health boardroom. And it was a lot of discussions about, hey, you know, we're we're behind in terms of digital consumerism, um, not just overall. I mean, everybody's kind of adapted to, you know, open table and, you know, the like Airbnb. Everything's on demand. Everything's easy to access except for healthcare. And so the board kind of looked at, you know, hey, where do we stack up against our competition? And then what features are we missing? And then we listened to our customers and did some research, worked with a very large consulting group that many health systems work with. Um, I won't name names, but and kind of like, you know, mapped out the patient journey and said, okay, billing's absolutely horrifying. Our website, you know, we have 30 different web properties, you know, and it's just super confusing. You know, our our scheduling apparatus is, you know, non-existent. We have 300 or so phone queues that you have to go through to navigate your care. And then on the back end, we just had, you know, it was it was as if the house had, you know, pipes, but nothing was connected and there's water spilling everywhere. So so we had to really take focus at, okay, this is what we're going to accomplish. I think the story is we asked for five years, the board said, do it in three and here's the money. So that story started in 2018, and that's when I joined Banner, was uh, the beginning of 2018. 
And we just went to work and we had a list of deliverables that we had to accomplish. And I mean, it was everything from synthesizing billing to building out a CRM to, you know, consolidating our websites, delivering a certain number of doctors on online scheduling and improve our find a doctor experience. I mean, you name it. And then all all along, just, you know, keep adding these digital features that connect to the the plumbing so that we're not, you know, creating these one-off experiences that are great from a from the appearance standpoint, but yet don't connect to anything and create, you know, operational challenges inside. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Reed, we're on to the third course of our smorgasbord. What do we have? That's right. Number three on the list, a show called How I Got Here. Uh, This is one of the first ones that we uh, produced, I think... Uh, that was more in a, in a seasonal format, you know, season one, season two, that that kind of thing. And uh, season one launched back in January of this year, and uh, I was actually the host of this. And so this show really focuses on interviews with folks, not so much about what they're doing now, but really how they got to where they are. So we've had folks on like Lee Acey and talked about his background in politics. We uh, had Ed Bennett, who has been on the network 116 times. <laughs> Carrie Lichen, uh, all, all these great folks. And so I, you know, I encourage you to go uh, check it out. You can kind of go through the list. The titles are just the people's names and will give you kind of an idea of um, you know, how they got to where they are. Dr. Brian Vardabedian, who hosts the exam room, is hosting season two. And so that's obviously uh, more focused on uh, innovation in medicine. Uh, today, we're actually going to listen to episode six of Doug Ullman. So Doug, uh, I have known for some years. I met him when he uh, was originally the CEO at Livestrong. Uh, he is currently the president and CEO of Pelotonia, an organization that's uh, affiliated with the Ohio State University Medical System and, and the uh, their cancer center, the James. And so uh, really cool guy. He's got a fascinating background, uh, cancer survivor himself. We'll cut away and hear a little bit of that now. You just don't know when the next big idea is in front of you. And you have to be willing to sort of take take a risk. Have you ever wondered, how'd you end up with that job? Or maybe wonder what his background is. Welcome to How I Got Here. I'm Doug Ullman, and this is How I Got Here. I'm your host, Reed Smith. Man, I, I appreciate you coming on and spending a few minutes i think uh of course a lot of people know your name and and follow you on twitter and stuff like that through the years we'll we'll get to some of that but uh 
first though, you, now you grew up, correct me if I'm wrong, but you grew up in kind of the, is it the Baltimore area? Is that is that a fair way to, to say that? Exactly, I grew up right between Baltimore and Washington. And, and for those that aren't familiar, um, I think you've told this story a time or two, but uh, talk a little bit about like actually where you grew up because people, like a planned community is not, con- well, I mean, I guess it is kind of commonplace now or people think of planned communities, um, but talk a little bit about where you grew up specifically. Yeah, so I grew up in, in what was the first planned city in America um, called Columbia, Maryland, and it's you know, again, right between Baltimore and Washington, it's coming up on, you know, 60 years of existence. Um, and so it was built at a time when it was sort of the height of the civil rights era. Um, mm. It was farmland. It was not congested and overpopulated the way that region of the country is today. And a visionary developer decided to build a city from scratch. Um, and, uh, and just, you know, had had a, a, a dream that he could create a place that brought people together, people from diverse backgrounds and people who wanted to to truly live sort of in a in a community. And that's that's what he did. Is that oddly it's funny to, to hear you talk about that, because obviously when that was done and certainly even through your growing up years, uh, well, probably just until 20 years ago or so, it was still very much an in-person community. And that's, I think, you know, one of the reasons people gravitated towards social media, Facebook, Twitter, things like that was this ability to connect as growing up in that community did that uh, put a certain lens on the way you thought about, you know, participating online and things like that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as, as any of us, like when you grow up, you don't know any different. So you think <laughs> yeah. you are normal. And so in hindsight, I definitely was, was raised in a, in an environment that fostered certain values and characteristics but at the time, I didn't know that was any anything different than anybody else had experienced. And so it wasn't until I went away to college and sort of removed myself from that physical environment that I realized, oh, maybe this was a little bit unique. And, you know, some of those values were things like, you know, you should be involved and you should find ways to serve the community and you should give back and you shouldn't wait for other people. Uh, if you saw a need, you should fill it and, and try to do what you could to to help those around you. And, you know, those sound like basic things, but when they're fostered by not just your family, but by the bigger environment in which you're living, um, it can be, it can be pretty powerful. Do you feel like that's where your kind of drive or motivation um, from a career perspective came from? I mean, you've been in kind of that service uh, industry world, uh, profession, if you will, uh, for some years, is that, is that kind of where that motivation came from? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel like that's where it started. This idea that in a community you have to participate actively. And if you do, and if others do as well, everybody benefits, you know, it's, it's sort of the, the ultimate impact is bringing more people in to participate, uh, will, will benefit the the entirety of the group. And, you know, I think I always had that instilled in me and then lo and behold, I, you know, had my own sort of cancer experience, which, which put me, 
into this specific field, but the idea of trying to bring people together mm. and trying to do things as a group that none of us could do on our own, that to me is, is what drives most of what I try to do. All right, Doug is uh, still one of my favorite people to visit with and talk with, and just uh, the things that he's done in the cancer space has just been fascinating through the years to watch, and uh, just just such a neat and uh, unique individual that has uh, such a uh, a rich background. And uh, now we will move along to the the fourth course, uh, Chris. <laughs> what do we got? The fourth show. Uh, that we're going to be talking about is a seasonal type of show, right? A limited series of of episodes. And that is a program called The New Normal, Conversations About the Future of Healthcare. It's a 10-part episode show that uh, launched in April and went from April to June, where we talked about how our industry, not just hospitals and health systems, but even public health, healthcare legislation, what is it going to look like? Maybe even ponder about what the future may be when we return to quote unquote business as normal. If it is even a thing such as business as normal anymore, the conversation went far and wide, a lot different than what we do in the show here. You and I do read the one we're going to highlight is actually the last episode of the season. It was an interview I did about public health with Dr. Brian Castrucci, who's president and chief executive officer of the De Beaumont Foundation, an advocacy group for public health across the country. So naturally, we kind of jumped into how the crisis is transforming the, the industry of public health. Not only talking about social determinants of health, we got into the political determinants of health. And so we're going to do a few minutes of this interview that we had with Brian Castrucci because it's completely fascinating. Public health is sometimes commonly shorthanded as all the other factors that lead to maintaining a healthy society, the social determinants of health. That is socioeconomic status, education, neighborhood and physical environment, employment, and social support networks, as well as access to health care. Our national health pandemic has only highlighted the gaps we have in addressing public health challenges in our society. With the dramatic impact it has had on underserved populations, and with record levels of unemployment in these same communities, and frankly, a partisan approach to addressing the pandemic, it makes me ask, is there such a thing as a political determinant of health? Welcome to The New Normal, conversations about the future of healthcare from Touchpoint Media. Through interviews with leading industry experts, this program explores how the current public health crisis is forcing our industry to transform and change. In this episode, I speak with Brian Castrucci, President and Chief Executive Officer of the De Beaumont Foundation, a leading voice in health philanthropy and public health practice. Brian leads the De Beaumont Foundation's efforts to advance policy, build partnerships, and strengthen the public health system to create communities where people can achieve their best possible health. Listen in as we discuss how public health should change in this post-COVID-19 world. Now, the hospitals have done a good job moving kind of more upstream and saying, listen, we're going to take care of your housing tonight. We're going to give you a place to stay tonight or we're going to give you access to some food, okay? But those are Band-Aids, and we are very much a, a Band-Aid country. We don't get to the root cause of the problem. And this is where I think healthcare has a major role to play. Healthcare in a lot of places, they have the largest employer in their communities. They also have a fair bit of uh, influence over local politicians. And so in some ways, healthcare taking this on, housing and food, and these are not healthcare's issues. They're having 
an impact on patient outcomes. But healthcare needs to push back and say to local government, this is your responsibility. What's your solution to affordable housing? What's your solution to food insecurity? And, and take something like food insecurity. You could take the data that the hospital has. It would allow us to really uh, pinpoint where the food insecurity is. We then take those data to the city council or county commission, to the mayor and say, hey, look, here's the problem. And there's not a a grocery store here. So what, what we're going to do is the local hospital might put up some low interest loans to attract a grocery store to come into that area. And the city is going to make sure they waive some taxes. And together, they're going to bring a grocery store with the community's guidance to ensure that there will be uptake. That's the path to health in America. Lower health care costs, less illness and better health, which means better productivity and thriving and economically strong communities. And that's what we want. The path is there. We just don't have the political will to walk down it. I actually recently heard a term, someone referred to it as the political determinants of health. Is there a political determinant of health in our society? There is absolutely a political determinant of health. There's a lobby for guns. There's a lobby for alcohol. There's a lobby for soda. Where's the public health lobby? We can't buy access because we have no money and we have totally missed. This is a shared value. And that's, that is hopefully the lesson that comes out of this pandemic. If anyone is surprised at anything happening right now, they're not paying attention. We knew that half of Americans were only living paycheck to paycheck. We knew that most couldn't survive a $400 expense. We knew these things. We knew that during 121 consecutive months of economic growth, we didn't move the federal minimum wage by one penny. So we were gambling for a long time. This time we rolled craps. And now we're all shocked at the outcomes. Of course, if you close down the economy and half your country is living paycheck to paycheck, that's going to have an impact. And, And we are actually listening to people talk about how we can't prioritize lives over livelihood. I am shocked that we are living in a country right now where we're having that debate. As you can tell from that clip read, that interview was really fascinating and it still holds up today. I mean, even though this was a limited show, you know, we were talking about the new normal in the middle of the summer. Mm-hmm. These conversations are still resonate now because we'll never know what the future state will look like until we get there. But these certainly are good thought starter conversations. Let's go to one of the newest shows on our network. Yeah, absolutely. So we mentioned uh, Healthcare Insight for Marketers early uh, earlier in the show. This is uh, that one and this one are probably our two newest shows that we've done. This one is called The Morning Fix Podcast uh, by 510K Cafe. It's hosted by Amy Shepard, Julie, and Julie Dye. And it's focused really on medical technology leaders. And they're talking about more in the uh, life sciences space more often than not. So their backgrounds is kind of pharma, medical device, life sciences, biotech, that that kind of thing. And they've gone out and started having conversations uh, that are analogous, obviously, to the things that you hear uh, on this show, but a little bit different, much like Data Point or the exam room or some of those may be. And they uh, are both in Austin, Texas. 
And uh, coincidentally, uh, one of their coolest episodes, I think, here as of late is with Dr. Clay Johnston. He is the inaugural dean of the Dell Medical School at the University of Texas there in Austin. So UT Austin built a medical school, Dell Medical School. And uh, you may ask, be asking yourself, uh, is that the Dell, like Dell Computers? It is. That's the Michael Dell. There's also the Dell Children's Hospital. There's a lot of influence in, in that central Texas area. And so this was the first medical school Austin has had, and, and you know some say that it was uh, long overdue, certainly, and so he is the inaugural dean there. They were able to talk about kind of what he's seen and what has changed since uh, starting all of this in 2014, the landscape of medical technology, the medical school's presence, venture funding, uh, all kinds of really interesting conversations, and Dr. Johnston is uh one of those is very, very well thought of and respected across the industry. Let's hear a little bit from uh, Dr. Clay Johnston. Good morning and welcome to The Morning Fix. I'm Julie Dye and I'm here with my colleague, Amy Shepard. We recently kicked off a new series called Deep in the Heart of MedTech, where we're exploring the medical device ecosystem in Austin, Texas. Today, we're honored to welcome Dr. Clay Johnston, the inaugural Dean of the Dell Medical School and Vice President for Medical Affairs at UT Austin. Dr. Johnston's goal at Dell Medical School is to create a new model for academic medicine and innovation that improves outcomes and reduces inefficiencies in healthcare. Dr. Johnston is a neurologist by training and specializes in stroke care and research. Dr. Johnston, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Johnston. So it's been about six years since you've taken the position as Dean at Dell Medical School. Talk about the goals you had in mind as you set up designing the new academic medical center at UT, and what approaches did you implement to accelerate growth and best practices? Yeah, so um, I was working at a great place in San Francisco, just as, as you mentioned, at UCSF. And they were doing wonderful things. But to me, the, the whole healthcare system is just isn't functioning well. Um, it's really not aligned with uh, society's interests. It's too much of a sick care system. It's really disciplined around fee-for-service and what generates revenue in fee-for-service. And it's not really disciplined around achieving the best outcomes for people because outcomes often aren't even better paid for, you know, you're paying for more healthcare, not better outcomes. And, and, and then also it was ignoring the potential impact of things that happen outside of clinics and hospitals, where frankly, most health happens. So, you know, ignoring the potential to, um, to uh, prevent um, illness and to promote health um, in also not taking advantage of systems changes and technologies that could make health outcomes better and um, and uh, reduce cost to healthcare, but they weren't reimbursed in, in fee-for-service. So the opportunity here was to take a big step back and say, well, can we redesign um, academic medicine, academic health centers, also the way we teach, to have us be better aligned with society's interests in achieving good health and better health outcomes? and not having the resources wasted. And so that was the adventure. Um, and, uh, you know, how did we do it? <laughs> well, first of all, we have to be uh, more disciplined around what it is that we're here to do. So we have to just say, well, 
you know, uh, as much as possible, let's design that care to, to achieve those great outcomes. Then we have to um, recruit in people who are creative and ambitious and excited about doing it a better way. And, and we've done that um, uh, quite well, including uh, our, our medical students. Um, and then um, we have to uh, support some fundamental building blocks that aren't necessarily present in most academic medical centers. So for us, um, you know, one was a, a big investment in population health. So, you know, how do we keep people healthier um, outside of our normal um, uh, halls and um, uh, human centered design? Um, because, you know, real creative solutions are going to be required to address these issues and healthcare value, you know, this interface between business and, and, um, and healthcare. Um, thinking differently about how to organize that business um, to achieve those outcomes. And we have you know, uh, Elizabeth Teisberg, who wrote the book on that, literally, um, uh, is uh, on our faculty and um, shared with the business school. So those are some of the fundamental pieces. And then, you know, how do you accelerate growth? Well, you do have to produce financial success. That's been the, the, the um, you know, difficult part in this. But it ends up, you know, value happens all over the place. And so you know, we can design this in areas that are that nonetheless remain lucrative and fee for service, um, while we also uh, build out new payment models in areas that um, are only uh, lucrative um, in a, in a value based system. And so that's that's really the the approach that we've taken. That's that's really great insight about the vision that you had and, and the team had for the the, the new medical school. And I know that you've made some great strides in that area. You know, you, you talked about coming from San Francisco and wanted to ask you about, you know, what do places like San Francisco, Boston, Minneapolis have over Austin? You know, why, why have those places been able to accelerate some of their um, healthcare growth and healthcare innovation, um, whereas Austin is, is just starting out in that, in that area? Yeah, I mean, once you're an established center, then it's easy to maintain it, right? I mean, that's the that's the thing. All these communities that are powerhouses in medical research and, and innovation, they have very strong university systems, and in those university systems, have been disciplined over time to interface better and better with industry to move those discoveries out. And, you know, this was part of my job at San Francisco was to figure out how to how to interface with communities so that discoveries really could move out into industry and improve health. And, and during my time there, we saw competition from Boston that didn't exist previously. Right. I mean, San Francisco really was center of gravity in in biotech for a long time, uh, less so for devices, but still, you know, substantial devices. There are obviously more devices out in, in, uh, in Minneapolis. All right, so there it was. That was number five on the list, The Morning Fix, Dr. Clay Johnston, uh, Amy Shepard, and Julie Dye. And so, again, whether it's you know one of the first ones we mentioned, like the source from the ATA, how I got here, the new normal, the morning fix, healthcare insight for marketers, uh, all these five certainly worthy of, of a little time and attention. So we would love for you to go out to the website and check this out, touchpoint.health. Uh, reach out to the folks that are hosting or have been on these shows. Thank them. So we think uh, 2021 will bring more shows that we'll get to highlight this time next year. But this is uh, a great way to uh, highlight a few that have uh, come about this year. 
All right, so we are rounding it out for the second to the last time this year. Is that right? Second to the last time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, rounding it out for the second to the last time this year. And just a couple of things to bring your attention to as as you round out the year. If you're listening to this, within a few days of it coming out, it's not too late for you to still vote on our uh, annual awards. You can do that. It's a bit.ly link. TP20 Awards. So TP20 Awards. It's a bit.ly link again. TP20 Awards, all lowercase. Also links on LinkedIn, Twitter, all that kind of fun stuff. We'd love to have you vote. Best guest, favorite episode. And we've got some things you can pick from there. So you can certainly choose your own or fill in your own or choose from some of the ones that we've plugged in there. So we'd love to have you do that. Yeah, looking forward to that show. And that'll run into your news feed or into your podcast feed in between Christmas and New Year's, for those of you paying attention. It's certainly listenable enough to uh, go into January, too. So definitely be part of that. It should be very interesting. So Absolutely. And it's probably one of my favorite episodes. Maybe it is the favorite episode <laughs> that we do every year. So uh, that's why we do it, because we like to do it. <laughs> We, we'd, love for you to, we'd love for you to chime in, certainly, and be a part of that. So, all right. As we round out today's episode, of course, we highlighted uh, the five new shows from this year. Like I said, more growth on the horizon. We've actually got one that's got, oh gosh, probably six or eight episodes in the can already that we haven't even mentioned or talked about. It is not on the website yet. So, Lots of great content coming in the new year. Thank you so much for all the support and all that kind of fun stuff. We thought for recommendations today, we'd do something a little bit different. We've done this some in years past. We have a show on the network called Gear and Review. Gear and Review has had a couple different show hosts. Bobby Ratu, our show host that brings you Intersection. He and I started Gear and Review back in the day. He then co-hosted that with uh, one of his counterparts there in South Carolina, Mark Berry. Uh, And then this year, he and I have done a few more episodes and he and Mark have done a few more episodes. And so we thought because it's kind of a a fun, short show that talks specifically about gear and gadgets that we would maybe pick uh, one of those episodes to recommend. So I'll let you uh, I'll let you go first, Chris. All right. So it is a great podcast, by the way, for anybody listening in that is interested in technology and gear and things like that. The one that I really appreciated came out in July. Number 55, Virtual Interviews in the New COVID-19 Normal was the title. And it's where you and Bobby jumped in and and started talking about all the different ways to conduct virtual interviews, both within hospitals and healthcare facilities, but, you know, just in general. You went into not only uh, the technology, the platform. So this is is Reed's hot take on Zoom versus Slack versus (laughs) Teaming. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But you also got into the different types of technology and gadgets that go along with it, microphones and stands and various different things like that. You know, so much so when I listened to it, I I realized that while, you know, you and I do this podcast every week, I needed to up my game a little bit in terms of my video camera and in terms of the way I have my configuration set up here, because, you know, this is definitely a way that I'm working with organizations now is this virtual landscape. So gear and review episode 51 Virtual interviews in the new COVID-19 normal. There you go. I am going to uh, actually recommend one from just a couple of weeks later. It's actually the most recent episode that came out. These kind of come out in spurts throughout the year when there's stuff to talk about. But it's uh, Gear Interview 53, Podcast Recording and Social Distancing. 
So this uh, was us talking a little bit about Bobby and Mark specifically talking a little bit about how to capture interviews while complying to social distancing protocols. And that's obviously becoming more and more important. Certainly you can do it over the internet, right? But these are kind of like in-person type things. And so they reviewed the, the Rode SC6L mobile interview kit. So it's a portable interview kit equipped with two live mics that you use with your iPhone lightning connection port. And anyway, so it's, it's, it's cool. It, it, you know, it's one of these things you might be, if you're thinking about, guys, we're, we're going back to the hospital some and we're needing to capture some content and things like that. But how are we going to do that and do it in a responsible way? This may be one to check out, certainly, where Mark and uh, Bobby talk a little bit about the mobile interview kit from Rode. So cool episode and I would encourage you to go check that out. Awesome. Those are, those are great. Again, this is a great podcast to just add to your feed and listen in when it, when they come out because they're just so really great. I mean, just fun. So absolutely. Absolutely. Again, if you will go take the survey, there's a place to plug in an email there at the end. If you'd like us to enter that in and start receiving the TPS report uh, on a weekly basis, it's an email that comes out every Monday. Certainly you can just go straight to the website, touchpoint.health and sign up for that. Don't feel like you've got to plug it in on the, uh, on the survey. If, uh, if that's the easiest, feel free. We appreciate the support. We appreciate everything that you've done for us this year. This has been an interesting year, certainly for everybody. And uh, we've been fortunate to see the podcast network continue to grow. So we'd love to hear from you. Experts you'd like to see interviewed, topics you'd like to see covered. Reach out, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever's convenient for you. We'd certainly like to hear from you. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we will see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.